Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Hi, Lauren. Are we live? We are live, Dr. Cohen, with Gross Anatomy Podcast, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us. And I'm Dr. Jason Cohen. And who are you? And I'm Lauren Taylor. Hey, Lauren. Hi. What's going on with you this week? Well, it's, you know, the Jewish, it's been a short week. It's been an interesting week. You talked about last week, how you were having less surgeries because of the COVID patients. They were putting off some surgeries. Are they ramping them back up or what's going on? It's too soon to say because of the holidays. So I I did, I did a thyroid surgery today. um, Just one. And uh, we'll kind of see what next week looks like. You know, I'm waiting to see, but it's, it's, um, it's too soon to say. I don't know. I, I imagine they're going to be ramping back up, but I, it, I'm not totally sure. I have to share. So yesterday, my daughters and I watched a movie last night. We watched, and I didn't even tell you that I was going to be discussing it. So I'm springing this on you. Adolescence, big time adolescence. Have you heard of that movie? I've never even heard of that. You stumped me. I, I hadn't heard of it either. And I was just kind of, we were just kind of looking through like what to watch and my daughters and I really like coming of age movies. And this is one and big time adolescence. And interestingly enough, the guy who produced it is a guy I was kind of friendly with when I first moved out here 21 years ago. And then we were kind of in similar circles and then our paths kind of diverged, but he, he produced this movie. Interestingly, Jeremy Gerlich, a really good guy. But what I wanted to tell you, the whole reason I'm mentioning the movie is Pete Davidson starred in the movie. Oh, really? Huh. Did and, he, but he didn't write it. He didn't have anything to do with it. Right. He didn't write it, but he starred in it. And what I wanted to share with you is he kind of reminds me of your brother. <laughs> Has anyone ever said that? Uh, my brother probably has more tattoos than he does. I don't know. I'll, um, I'm going to text him after this and ask him that. Yeah, so th- that's what I wanted to share. It, it's an interesting coming-of-age movie, actually. Um, it's good. It's not amazing, but it was good and enjoyable, and my daughters liked it, too. Uh, but the main reason I wanted to bring it up is your brother, who's an amazing artist, who's way more focused and a much better guy than the guy Pete Davidson plays, but something about them remind me of each other, and I just wanted to share that. And okay. we, we had your brother on the podcast. So I just, yeah, I will ask him. Um, my husband once said that he looked like Bobby Cannavale, but, uh, my brother did not like that comment at all. So I guess, Uh, or he didn't, he's never heard that before, but I could, I mean, they're both Italian. They kind of look a little bit alike. Yeah. There's something about the way he talks also something. Well, I did speak to my brother today and we were both a little bit sad about the death of Michael K. Williams. Um, I don't know if you saw that in the news. Uh, he, he was found in his penthouse at age 54. I don't, I don't know what he died of, but um, he's best known as, did you watch Boardwalk Empire? I did. I watched, yes. Yes, he was. Um, so he was choppy white in that because you're like uh, the only person I know that hasn't seen The Wire, right? You still haven't I didn't seen watch The Wire. Even though I think Mark Feuerstein, our friend and the, and a guest of the podcast. I think he's been in some wire episodes possibly. 
I don't remember later seasons, but I'm not totally sure. But I, I, I could be wrong. We'll have to fact check that later. I think he might have been in later a later season, like just a small little arc. Well, that's cool if he was, because then he's in the greatest show ever made that Dr. Cohen still has not seen. But anyways, he's best known probably as Omar from The Wire. But I wanted to tell our audience, if you're missing Michael K. Williams, like me and my brother are, that you should check out Hap and Leonard. It's on Netflix. There's three seasons of it. It originally was a Sundance TV show that Netflix picked up. And I feel like most people didn't have Sundance TV. Most people haven't seen it. But it's a really cool show that me and my husband love. And he plays one of the main characters, Leonard. So check. How come you never recommended it to me? I don't know. I guess I just never... Well, because it was always hard to find. Like It wasn't on any of the main streaming channels. But I just found out that it's on Netflix all three seasons now. And what's the name of the show? Hap and Leonard. What's it about? It's um, it's kind of like, it's almost like a noir type show, like based on, I think it's like the late 70s. Just these like two best friends, one's white, one's black. And like what kind of shenanigans they get into in the South, like, which is very, uh, you know, like racist. And, but it's, it's very interesting. Got it. Okay. I'll check it out. But so we're giving our audience some recommendations. So that's nice. There you go. Yeah. So, and they don't know why he died? No, I mean, it's speculated that it, could be because of drug use because he had a, a past history with that. But I, I don't want to say that because I don't know. Right. What's nuts is that's only two years away from me. I know. Yes. It's very young. And um, what's crazy is the Emmy awards are coming up and he's nominated. Oh, he's definitely going to win. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they've already voted, but he should win anyways. Yeah. Great in boardwalk empire. Um, what are we talking about today? Well, I sent you a New York times article that I read and I read and then it had a lot of comments on it that um, created more questions for me, for you. So oh, I didn't look at the comments. No, no, I didn't want you to. So I'm going to, okay. I'm going to pop quiz you. Not really pop quiz at all. Just, uh, I had some questions for you. Okay. On this but, but what was the article? So the article is called, I am caught between the two worlds of the ICU and TV. And it's uh, by Daniela Lamas, who's a critical care physician, but she's also a co-producer of the TV medical drama, The Resident. Yeah. She's like the medical consultant, and I guess a co-producer on that show. So the article talks about how like when it's, when she has a second in between like the intensive care unit duties that she does, she'll go log on to like Zoom and go into a conference room of writers and producers and they'll like talk about a scene where a man's heart just stopped and the resident rushes to get the defibrillator. How do you say it? Defibrillator? I can never say it. Defibrillator. 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 But no. before he can, someone objects. It's a producer noting that the scene feels too predictable. So that's like when she'll come in and they'll ask her how to fix it and what to do, which is what I think would be a great job for you. But the article basically talks about how she knows it's not, I always think of a medical consultant like her being on that show to like make it more real mm-hmm. but the article made me realize is that that's not really the point at all it's like so people can just get engaged but not feel the realities of like what she actually sees in the intensive care unit or like right. what you actually see right. so it was interesting because it, it's like she actually took it uh took on the job as a stress relief from like burnout so it's like she can make these stories happy even if she can't in real life, which I thought was interesting because I've never heard a doctor's perspective like that that works on the show. Yeah, I got to tell you, I, I often when I read stuff by doctors, um, I often think it's very, not, I, I sometimes, 
other than the fact that I envy them and hate them and I'm jealous of them. But, but then I get a little judgy sometimes and just telling it like it is. And I, I, I dislike a lot of doctors writing. They kind of sound a little holier than now. I kind of, they kind of make me feel like, come on, you know, like they're putting on airs, but I actually really liked her article and, and I, and I wanted to hate it for the same reason. I'm always jealous and envious that these docs are doing that kind of, that have made that jump, but I liked her article and it felt, it felt, um, I just enjoyed it. And I, and I felt like she was being honest and not kind of, holier than now and not preachy and not like up on a pedestal, even though she's a Brigham person, you know, which is a Harvard. I, I kind of, I, I, I still, I like her after reading that article. I like her. The only thing is though, that I wonder, you know, she said, just like you said that she goes from the ICU to the zoom meeting. And then at the end of the article, she admits that the writing is to, fictionalize it and not make it real mm-hmm. is that intro also fictionalized how she runs from the ICU to a zoom thing is, is she doing the same thing there dramatically? And I, and if she is great, I like that, but I'm like, come on, she can't really be running back and forth in the middle of ICU. That's a, zoom. Yeah. That's so, a good question. It was a good uh, intro, which is probably a little bit fictionalized too. Now that you say that. But I like that. I, I I really enjoyed the article and I like that it was short too. Yeah. No, I like that. But there were there were some so she says she uses it like TV medical script writing as like an escapism. And that, you know, it's it's better that you don't see like the whole truth. But there were a lot of comments. One was something that we kind of touched on before, specifically like people had a problem with how they depict CPR. Saying that right. like it's only I don't know, this person was quoting a 2012 study. I don't know if it's true or not that only about 2% of adults who collapse on the street and receive CPR actually recover and that it can do a lot of actual damage to like elderly patients with like broken ribs. And there are just several comments about like how they don't like CPR as it's seen on TV. They think it does harm. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't know. Well, she did touch upon the whole CPR right. a little bit being not, not, you know, that in the TV and the movies, they always bring the patient back, but in real life they don't. She, she mentioned that, and I think that's really true. Interestingly, I recently saw a patient who had gotten, uh, was getting a scan, uh, a CAT scan or an MRI, I don't remember which one, and after getting the intravenous dot, such an allergic reaction that their heart stopped, and they had to do CPR, and the patient recovered ultimately, but the patient had a lot of broken ribs and was now suffering and recovering from these broken ribs from her CPR. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I mean, it's actually common, especially in the elderly, that ribs break during CPR uh, because just of overzealousness or on the part of the person doing the CPR and just frailty on the part of the, the patient sometimes. Yeah. And when they made those comments, I was like, I guess I have never seen a scene where like, you know, they do CPR and then the next scene is like broken ribs from like, you know, the CPR. Like they do never show that. But I don't know. I mean, if that's an actual problem or not. Broken ribs from CPR is very common. Very common. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, And this patient was, you know, know, still still in, in discomfort, but luckily improving. Good. Okay. So if they weren't showing CPR, then what else could they show? Like if it wasn't like a magic rescue, like if you want that miracle TV moment, 
and it's not right. like well it's kind of along the lines of cpr it's one of my favorite stories uh and i may have told it on this it, it when i was doing my trauma rotation as a at Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, New York, we had a guy who came in and stopped me if I've told the story, who was stabbed and lost his vitals in the as soon as he got into the hospital. And we had to slash open his chest. Did I ever talk about that? Yeah, it's, he didn't survive, right? He didn't survive. But that's it's called an emergency department thoracotomy, which is pretty dramatic. It's almost it is CPR also. It's a form of doing CPR but it's even more dramatic CPR, uh, something like that. And that's something you've actually done. So that's a real story. Something I've done. And I've done plenty of CPR too. And, you know, it'd be interesting. I don't, if I could, if I had this amazing memory, it'd be interesting to know what percentage of CPR that I've done have recovered. That, that would be amazing if somehow I could figure that out. But yeah. There's no way. And the truth is most of the CPR that I've done, luckily, was more in my training, you know, in my in my earlier years. Luckily, I, I don't have to deal with that stuff so much anymore. So I don't want to jinx myself, but haven't haven't had to do CPR in a long time, which is good. Yeah, yeah that is good. There was another comment by an ICU doctor who watches a lot of medical shows, and he says they're so unrealistic, but there are some moments of comfort between the eye rolling and that it inserts humor in ways that he doesn't ever see at work. So it almost like helps him realize that he should celebrate more like the wins than the losses. Um, So like that kind of medical TV helps him remember things like that. And it says their doctors have a much smaller sense of imposter syndrome that he can try to model more often. What do you think about that? I don't know. I've seen, I've seen like in Grey's Anatomy, those doctors have imposter syndrome especially earlier on, they, they definitely have, you know, do I belong? I was thinking that too. Yeah. I fit in here that there's definitely that, you know, the whole imposter syndrome is a new, is a newly coined thing. Yeah. Can you explain it to our audience? You've explained it to me a little bit, but just explain it to our audience. It's, it's just a sense of, I don't deserve to be here. Why am I here? I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not qualified. How the heck do they, am I doing this? How the heck do people think I belong here? How the heck did I get here? You know, that, that's basically what imposter syndrome is. It's a feeling of not being worthy of being where you are, whatever, whatever it is. And it, and it could be really anything at all. Uh, um, so that's what it is. Okay. And I, and I think everybody at some point in their lives feels that. And I, and I think not just at some point, I think we constantly go through that kind of feelings. I'm envious if there are people who never go through that. I want to, I want to be them or I want to meet them or, or maybe my dad, maybe my dad was someone who, who my dad was one of those guys who, but you never know. I never got to talk to him that deeply. He was one of those guys who had no shame Nothing made him scared, or at least it seemed like he had no shame. Nothing made him scared. He felt like he belonged. He he threw himself into whatever it was he did. He just carried this confidence, and and maybe it was who knows, right? It was a remarkable. He was like a mobster, you know. Who who? That's what he always seemed like. Yeah, I, walked, I would I would say in this comments 
defense that that is kind of the like the main character in medical shows you see is more like that confidence you know we talked about that in the main star of the resident we're like wow he's really kind of cocky right right exactly but the new guy coming in always is the not cocky guy right 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 and that's in house of god as well which we talked about and we talked with dr shem you know the the fat man the star of house of god and and the sequel is is this total confident guy but then all the other guys around them are like, what am I doing here? And especially you really do feel that way, or I felt that way as a brand new medical student. And then again, as a brand new resident, you know, as soon as you finish residency, as soon as you finish medical school, you start your residency. And I, again, I may have talked about, I remember I was given my pager as a surgery resident day one, and I got a page and I was all excited to answer this page. I'm like, oh, it's Dr. Cohen. And I still remember, I think the guy's name who had it before me was the chief resident who graduated, who I never met. I think his name for some reason was Jason Diamond. I, I could be wrong, but they're like, is this Dr. Diamond? And I'm like, no, it's Dr. Cohen. And, and it was weird for me to say Dr. Cohen. And they're like, oh, never mind. I'm not looking for you. <laughs> it, was, it was a really weird moment. But it, well, too bad her name's not Dr. Diamond. I feel like you'd get a reality show. It's a great name. Well, that was the name of the screen, the screenplay I wrote. Dr. Diamond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so my other question about this comment from this ICU doc is, do you feel like your job suffers from like a lack of humor? Or do you think it's uncalled for to have like too much humor? I want you to answer that question <laughs> about me. What do you think? What do you think? What I do you think you add a healthy dose of humor, but I could see this ICU doc like turning to TV, medical TV to be like, I wish it could be more like that. Like you could find more moments of humor. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know if people are aware of it, but I have someone who helps with our social media and, and he comes to the office and he, he, on the days I see patients and he's an actor. The, the guy who's helping me right now is an actor who, who's, um, a friend of my daughter's and, and great, a great guy. And he's, he's been in a bunch of things, but now he's hustling again, trying to get work. But the first day he, or before he even started with me, he made some comment like, like Dr. Cohen or Jason, cause we're friends. Cause he's my daughter's friend. So I know him. He may call, I don't know what he calls me, but uh, which is a whole other funny thing. But he said to me, you have to be on like something like that, or you have to perform or, or you have to be, you know, when, when he's doing stuff for our social media. And I said to him something like, come on, you know, like I, I was like, you're, t- you're talking to me, Are you, talking <laughs> to me? you know? And so, and then after the first day, he's like, I realize I, I don't, I, you're, you get it. You know, he, he didn't realize me, you know, who I am and what I am, which is it's a, a weird way of answering your question is to me, humor is so important in terms of connecting with people and in terms of being good medicine too. Occasionally I get in trouble for it where a patient may not get my humor. And some, especially with the mask on now. Yeah. And luckily it's, it's not that often, but it's happened. And, and it upsets me afterwards that I wasn't able to connect with a patient. 
I've gotten better at trying to read patients beforehand, but still sometimes patients don't, don't get it, but it's probably better than that. We don't have a relationship, but because I, I like to be me and I like to not be too serious. And one of the things that I try to teach students and residents who work under me is don't be the doctor. Don't speak doctor to the patient. The, the patient doesn't, the patient needs you to be a person who knows how to be a doctor. And that's, and that's really important to me is, is being able to connect with people as just another person who's felt and, and gone through stuff and understand stuff and then do the doctor stuff afterwards. And, and I think it's so important. Sometimes I'm a little too goofy and silly, but that's me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like all your patients love you. So you must be doing something right. Thank you. I, it's, it's a balance. And it's, again, it's just trying to make it fun a little bit and, and, and also not so serious. And, and even, even when it is serious, still trying to find the light and the hope and the joy and, and the life within all of this, because it could get dark, it could get sad and dark, easy. And I, I think, especially now with COVID and especially now with masks and this whole social distancing, which is a horrible term and a horrible word. I think we really need to be more than ever, not socially distant. We need to be socially close and socially present. And we talk about it all the time, but it's important. And, you know, for example, I'll give an example of my stupidity in the OR today. Surgery was tough. It was a hard surgery, but when we were done and ready to start closing, a song came on. We were listening to some music. It was Coldplay. We were listening to, and I started belting it out. And, and I deliberately did it like out of the blue. And everybody like kind of went, whoa, you know, but started laughing. And it's just my shtick, you know, just to, to lighten up the mood a little bit. We were at the end, luckily, you know, and, and things had gone great. And, and we were finishing up. I think it's important for all, all the healthcare professionals because it seems like everyone's suffering from major burnout. So if you can provide any bit of humor at any point in the day, I think that's important. I think so. And, and I don't want to come across, you know, I don't want to come across as like preachy or, or holier than thou or whatever. Or, but yeah, you know, one of the things that I, that keep me coming back is, is that connection to people and, and finding humor and, and a connection with people. And, and that's what I enjoy. That's what I enjoy. It's good. Okay. So I had another question based on this article because I didn't think about it because we reviewed a lot of scripted medical TV shows and we kind of look for it like from a doctor's perspective, like what are they getting right? What are they getting wrong? Like that's very interesting to me, but I never thought about you watching the show as it being therapeutic for you, like some of these doctors' comments. Do you ever find that? Or is it, because I always assumed doctors probably didn't watch medical shows that much because they're just burnt out. Like, do you ever find it therapeutic watching them? Or are you just more annoyed? No, neither, neither. It's, I'm neither annoyed nor, nor, um, no, I, I don't find it therapeutic, but I'm not annoyed. And I don't watch it just because, there's so much other stuff out that I want to watch. So why do I need to watch something that's kind of in my wheelhouse? I want to watch something that's outside of what I do. And that's really the only reason why I don't watch them, but that's why I'm, I like watching. I like us watching these shows because they're kind of fun, you know, and I would normally not bother watching them. And I, 
And I've kind of enjoyed, for the most part, all of, all of the shows that we've watched. I've, I've really found great stuff in all of them. And, and I still like picking them apart. That's part of the fun for me. But I, but I think the drama, the resonant, I think, you know, is so well done. And what was the recent one we watched? New Amsterdam. I thought yeah. also the pilot was great. So, no, I, I enjoy those shows. Okay, but you prefer other genres for escapism, which makes perfect sense to me. Right, other genres for escapism. It, it's kind of like, I don't know if you watched the, what was the movie? I think we talked about it briefly uh, about with um, Anthony Hopkins and he he has dementia and he's being cared for. Oh, by, The Father. Is that what it's called? The Father? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Right, and he's being cared for by the woman who played the queen. Yeah, Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman, right, who I think is wonderful. And my wife really, I didn't want, we were on a plane. I, th- I think we talked about it and I didn't want to watch it. And my wife watched it and she's like, you have to watch it. And I'm watching something else. And she walks by and sees after she told me that I am not watching that movie. And she got angry at me. So of course I had to then go and watch it. And I knew I didn't want to watch it because it's about dementia and Alzheimer's that I kind of lived with and through uh, with my mom's mom, my grandmother. It was very, and I, it was a good movie, but I didn't need to watch it. And and the only reason I watched it was to please my wife. Right. No, that's why I haven't watched it. I'm just like, I don't think I can handle that subject matter right now. Yeah. Yeah. But so there was another question or another comment posed by a nurse which actually makes me kind of mad that I never, I think I've never asked you and I can't believe that I haven't, but she says, unfortunately, as a nurse, I've seen people unable to transform their hope in helpful ways because they were holding out for the TV miracle. She said, I've had people tell me I'm a liar because they saw something else on TV. And I never thought that it could be a problem like that. Like, have you ever had a patient say they saw something on TV? Like I, I, I just would never think that someone saw something on Grey's Anatomy and it's like, why can't you do this? I've never had that happen, but I'm sure it could happen because they everything they get from all these shows to some degree is based on someone's experience. You know, the, these ideas and things come from doctors or nurses and ideas. So it's possible. Uh, but do you think like them doing like TV miracles so much is bad for patients in general that are actually or do you think it's I mean, I guess you haven't encountered it being a problem. Neither. I, I, I think I think it's worse. What's worse is Google, you know, and, and the chat rooms. Yeah, we um, have talked about that before. Yeah, that's much worse than these TV shows, because I think people watch these shows knowing it's fiction. Right. Yeah. OK. All right. So I just thought I'd, I was like, I can't believe I never thought to ask you if it's it's counterproductive for patients to see all these miracles that can't actually be performed or aren't usually performed. No, I, I don't think so. And and. As we talked to the rabbi before the holiday. I was thinking about that too. I was like, actually, he said miracles do happen. We do see miracles. And and I've seen, I don't know about miracles, but I've seen things that surprise me. You know, I've been surprised and you never know. Right. Uh, And then, okay, so this is the last comment that I thought that you would like. Another uh, medical professional says he started his career watching St. Elsewhere. And that these shows have never gotten any closer to reality and that you should thank them for that. So like, basically you don't want it to be reality. Like, like the author of the article was saying. 
Interesting. I, I think it depends. Actually, that's what I didn't like about getting going full circle to the movie I watched with my kids last night. The Pete Davidson movie was it ended kind of not happy. It ended a little sad or because the the kid at the end hung out with this older guy who was Pete Davidson, the young coming of age kid, and it got him in trouble. And at the end, it just showed him getting out of his being in trouble, but it kind of just ended with that. And it ended with Pete Davidson's character being still being a goof off and, and a loser and probably never making it again. And so these days people want to see that, I think, which surprises yeah, yeah. me, you know, hyper-realism. I, I don't, I, I think they're all types these days. There's so much content out there. So I think you could, you could kind of choose, choose your own ending a little bit. Okay. So anything they put on like medical TV really isn't going to bother you or your patients. You don't think like scripted. I don't think so. No, I don't. Although you never know, never say never with me, (laughs) but okay. Then my final question is like, final, final question, final, final question. Okay. If they did make Grey's Anatomy real, it's, it's basically a soap opera, which it's, Right. It's great. But well, if she admits it, that. Shonda Rhimes admits that it's a soap opera. Right. But if it was based in reality, do you think people would watch it? Yeah. Yeah. Do Like different based people. on your reality? Yeah, different people. Because that's why people like to watch the those um, the Lennox Hill show that we watched. I was thinking that. I was like, there are some reality shows, but that's not popular the way Grey's Anatomy is popular. Right. Right. And there was, there's the whole life in the ER that people watch and people love to watch cops. So again, you know, they only show some of the things they don't show everything and there's still good editing, Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I think people would love that. That's another idea for a show is I still think people would love to watch it. I think the problem is, is, is really being able to show that stuff. Right. Okay, that's my questions for you. So if anyone wants to read the article, they should short and sweet. Who's the article by again? What's her name? By Dr. Daniela Lamas, who's a critical care physician. And writes for The Resident. A co-producer for The Resident, yes. Very cool. And the article is called, I am caught between the two worlds of ICU and TV in the New York Times. Nice. Good stuff, Lauren. Thanks, everybody, for joining us at Gross Anatomy. Lauren, I love this topic. This was a fun one. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.